0: Hi guys, welcome back to this week's episode of Millennial Mirrors. On this week's episode, the topic is, how do people define you? Uh, Our guest is Sarah Agroobi, who is an Emirati multidisciplinary artist who explores the notions of culture and identity of both the Middle East and Western cultures. Um, She's the founder of the Letters Project, even though since then we recorded this episode pre-COVID. She is now no longer uh, in charge of it. There's a whole team managing it. So just kind of a uh, disclaimer there for you guys. She's also the co-curator of Banat Collective, a creative community that discusses intersectionality, feminism, gender, and identity politics uh, from a Middle Eastern perspective. Uh, so, yeah, she's got quite a lot of interesting stuff going on. Listen in, and hopefully, you'll enjoy it. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank, thank you, you for very taking much. the time.
1: Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here.
0: So, tell me the story of Sarah Alagrub.
1: What part of Salah do you want to know?
0: I don't know. Pick, a, pick the story you want to tell.
1: Um, wow, the pressure's on already, and we haven't <laughs> even been 30 seconds into this I podcast. I know, right?
0: Um,
1: I think I could start and say, you know, I'm Sarah. I was born and raised in Brussels. I'm an artist. Uh, I live in the UAE. I grew up all over the world. Um, I'm a, very much a uh, often at times a black sheep of the herd. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel, uh, often that I'm always caught between the midpoint of something, whether it's the duality of culture, the duality of identity, the duality of whatnot. So I would always, yeah, self-identify as just an artist that's living my
0: life. And you are half Emanati, half Syrian. Syrian. And is that what, you, where, why you think there's so much duality in your life?
1: Definitely. Um, like I said, um, being um, or oh, struggling with this idea or this notion of like a duality growing up. Um, it was interesting growing up in the West, knowing that uh, cultural identity or the cultural fabric that you belong to isn't necessarily at the forefront of your identity. People don't uh, care very much where you're from and your background. And in Brussels, uh, they very much advocate for... Um, Mixes. Mm -hmm. So when I kind of came in, I always self-identified as half Emirati, half Syrian. And so when I came back to the UAE, that's when the pressure cracked down, and people started to tell me or define me in a way um, that suited their understanding of what an Emirati should, could, or would look like, or act like, or sound like. And for me, that was just such a point of like there was serious like cognitive dissonance that took place for me after that happened. And I was just like, but. I'm going to be me. I don't need somebody to tell me how I need right. to be. So,
0: And how did you kind of react? I mean, in the day-to-day, how does that like manifest as a reaction, I guess.
1: Well, it depends. I mean, you know, when it comes to identity or identity politics uh, as a whole, it ebbs and flows, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you can have a range of, of facing microaggressions on a day-to-day basis, or you can be confronted with people that are like-minded individuals that uh, create a sort of an awareness to you. So you have a point to connect with them on. But for me, it was very much I I I grew up being othered by the western community and then when I came back here I was othered by my own community. So there was a lot of otherness that was going on and I um and I just had to find I had to find a place that I could exist. So I I created a place for me to exist.
0: And is that place the Black Sheep place?
1: Yeah, and I think maybe Black Sheep might not be the right term, but it's definitely um it's 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 me, it's where I where I belong and I don't need it. There's no rules or restrict uh, or, or restrictions that I, you know, take in that regard. I just exist as I
0: so please. I, I like black sheep. Personally, mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of like black sheep. Mm-hmm. Most of my friends tend to be black sheep. <laughs> nice. their families. Or, and I, I myself, some would say I'm the black sheep, but um, I think it's, it's one of those things where it used to be this kind of um Used to be, a, there used to be such a bad connotation because needing to belong mm-hmm. and having to belong in a society was so important for your survival. For just kind of, I mean, that's how Definitely. the world worked. Yeah. Whereas now I feel like stepping into your own kind of identity in your own space is something which allows you to do so much more uh, and be so much more. Uh, and so I don't know. I'm not, I don't think it's as bad as it used to be. Yeah. And, and it also
1: depends on who made the rules to begin with. Yeah. So, for example, you know there there are various societies that encourage this idea of uh, quote unquote authenticity and mm. I put it in quotations because you don't necessarily have to be a black sheep in order to be authentic and then they're not antithetical to one another yeah. but um but for example, when it comes to um a community that that kind of um ad- advocates for Two types of the way that you can look at identity politics. So mm-hmm. one, it's a kind of a twofold answer that I've created for myself, right? Just just now, but one is that you kind of draw a larger circle around a community, and you find the thing that unites you. So mm-hmm. it would be like we all bleed the same way, we all have troubles and trials and tribulations. But Then the other fold is that you draw that same large circle around a community, and you identify a common enemy, and then mm-hmm. that becomes the things that that unites you. So one unites uh, a common bond of uh, various kind of like threads or fabrics uh, within your identity. So like I said, you know, we all bleed the same way, whatnot. And then the other one is that you use a division and that is what unites you. And so I think within the region, we have almost a split personality when it comes to that. People enjoy um, being the sort of uh, homogenous t- uh, fold of like oh we are all of the same ilk we yeah. all uh woven from the same fabric right. but then they also enjoy this idea of like let's unite and have a common enemy that we can all agree and uh you know uh, like exist with to, that. to
0: to to fight yeah exactly um it's interesting because i mean one of the things that some i sometimes get criticized for for this podcast mm-hmm. is that i only look at the negatives of our culture, which I don't agree with at all. Mm-hmm. I, and, and I always used to end um, the episodes with what's the part of your culture that you always carry with you. And mm-hmm. so many people, uh, the answer to that would be hospitality because mm-hmm. like here in the Middle <laughs> East, your hospitality is something you're so trained and it's like such a big part of you. and it's interesting that like I had people that are so so different. But no matter how different they are as people, that one thing was always like the thing that would come out as the answer because we're just so kind of trained into it. Um,
1: Definitely. But I think also it can be a blessing and a curse because I think that when people are overly hospitable, they ignore maybe telltale signs where people can take advantage of that hospitality or Mm. you tend to feel like it's this notion of like, I mean, I always say it's like keeping up with the Jones, Joneses, but in this region, it's like keeping up with the Shamsies or keeping up with the whatever. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, and I think it's, um, you know, I, I think when it comes to uh, identity or like um, self self actualization or uh, um, addressing yourself in whatever manner you see fit, I think within the given community that we belong to there's, there's almost like a set rule and you Mm -hmm. either fall, you fall within that bracket. So I I had this experience, which is, uh, it was a really kind of, it really cemented my, my, my understanding of where I sit within that uh, threshold. And I I remember I was, I was being interviewed uh, at one point in my art career, so several years ago. um, And I started having a conversation um, with this person, because the interview was in Arabic. Mm. And as soon as I started speaking, uh, the project that I'd working was working on was about the fact that I was half emirati. Right. And the the second I kind of addressed that, um, the the person that interviewed me kind of stopped and said, um, listen, we don't talk about that. You know, in this, in this kind of context, you are just Emirati. So please can we just start again? Oh, wow. And okay. so 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 I kind of like got myself together and started again and then within 20 seconds in the interview he kind of stopped it and he said listen can you change your accent because oh, you sound really syrian and i think it's really important that you kind of you know appeal to the emirati side of you and i just went and this interview was done and that was the last time i ever gave an interview in arabic wow. and um and that was a few a few years ago yeah. and i think that really cemented this kind of awareness of how people kind of operate within the sphere of identity so
0: i think i think that's very interesting and i think the dismissal of almost like a half of your identity mm-hmm. i mean like or half of your let's say um heritage yeah is is a bit insane um is that one of the things that led you to kind of start something like the letters project where you kind of realize that people aren't always going to be able to say what they want to say, how they want to say it. And so giving them.
1: I think so. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, well,
0: we're... first of all, can you tell people what the letters project Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. <laughs> so so uh, the letters project, it's uh, the co on Instagram um, uh, was born kind of through this, um, this need that I had to, um use social media as a platform to discuss uh sociocultural content. Mm-hmm. And often at times I would sit there and kind of unpack or dismantle ideas that I thought were really interesting. And I was often at times getting information sent back to me uh, through followers that mm-hmm. said, you know, oh yeah, I agree, or I echo the same sentiment or whatnot. And then it turned into, it started in London and then it turned into this place where people wanted to have um like a permanent location where they could read these stories and, Mm -hmm. and, and understand their own experiences and see themselves reflected in, in, in my, my stories. So it turned into this platform where I was like, well, send me a letter. It's anonymous. Mm -hmm. Um, You send a letter through a web link. The web link uh, doesn't ask for any personal details and you just speak your truth. And then that gets uploaded as, as a, as a post on, on Instagram. And what's interesting um, is that the thing that kind of uh, almost blew up or made the Letters Project blow up was a story that someone wrote about being half Emirati. Okay. So that was uh, someone uploaded it onto Twitter that then got retweeted like 900 times and was like, there was thousands of comments on it. And then that led to like this explosion on the Letters Project. Wow. So, um, but the Letters Project is, I mean, the way that I see it is that um, it just kind of came to me. There's a there's a kind of a, an anthropologist somewhat, like I think she's a psychiatrist and a sociologist and an anthropologist, I think, Renee Brown. Mm-hmm. And she wrote uh, this book called The Power of Vulnerability. And in the book, she discusses that we are uh, very much in a culture um, of scarcity. Mm-hmm. And what she means by that is that we are hyper aware of the lack in our culture, and that could be lack of, you know, I'm not good enough, I'm not rich enough, I'm not placed on the socio economical ladder high enough, I'm not mm-hmm. pretty enough, and all of these like self deprecating, almost imposter syndrome esque things that take place pushes us within a framework where she argues that people that are are in a Uh, Or have this notion of scarcity in their culture, um, know that scarcity thrives in shame, shame shame-prone cultures. Um, And that is very interesting because that is a direct response to the letters project, where a vast majority of the letters do talk about vulnerability and Mm -hmm. through shame and through trauma. So I think that was where the kind of letters project came to be.
0: Well, I think the reason why something like The Letters Project would be successful is because of the fact that shame is such a big part of, I mean, a lot of people's existence, not just Mm -hmm. in the Middle East, but Mm -hmm. I think there are so many kind of rules and regulations on what is and isn't allowed. And sometimes even like the very first episode of Millennial Mirrors was called Mm Abe. And and what is Abe is a moving target, Mm -hmm. depending on who you are, whether you're your gender, your socioeconomic background, your nationality, all those things completely shift that target. Definitely. And so what might be completely fine in your opinion was definitely not fine in someone else's opinion. And so it becomes this thing where you're always wary to a certain extent and you're always kind of wondering whether what you're doing is going to bring shame. Because at the end of the day, especially in a collective society, you walk out and you don't only represent yourself, you represent yourself and your family and your extended family, so on and so forth.
1: Definitely. Um,
0: So I think something like the Letters Project where People are holding on to something that they might feel so ashamed about, but they can't necessarily share or live um, in terms of their truth. It's a nice, it's 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 an amazing escape to almost to definitely.
1: A and I and yeah, I do agree with you in the sense that you know the um, the barometer or the by way of measure of what we consider shame is is relational, it's mm-hmm. uh, contextual, and it's individual. Yeah. But I also think that that comes from. Um, with with the letters project, because anonymity is part of the, is, is at the forefront of these letters, it almost eliminates or eradicates any kind of, um, a way of of marginalizing or underrepresented, uh, underrepresenting or pigeonholing a story, mm-hmm. um, because it doesn't have you don't know the race or the religion or the right. gender of the person. You just know their their truth or their their experience, and so you see yourself reflected in that story. And what's interesting about the way that the letters project is is um, is is done is that you know one letter becomes a a triggering point for or a ripple effect to like four different or five different letters and then the subject matter changes and so you see this interesting pattern that takes place where like someone will address toxic masculinity and there'll be a wave of like 10 letters about mm-hmm. their experience with that and i think um is another thing that just came to mind is that when it comes to uh i think her, i think her name is Mary Pfeiffer. she said that um Social change is a million acts of um kindness whilst um culture change is one million subversive acts of resistance and what's inter- and that really resonates resonated with me because these are almost like micro resistance a form of micro resistance that's taking place we are pivoting we 're shifting mm-hmm. the point of departure for people to understand what is contextually normalized within the community. And so the Letters Project allows these things to exist because we need to talk about trauma. We need to be able to have a place to indulge in vulnerability and accept vulnerability as something that isn't rooted in cultural norms or social conditioning. It's very much just you existing as you are, experiencing what you're experiencing and hoping to connect and resonate with another person. It's like humanity at its finest.
0: I think that word connection is so important because even though we can feel so surrounded by our family and our friends, so on and so forth, you can also sometimes feel so isolated by whatever you're holding on to. And a lot of that is because you might not necessarily see that narrative or see that story out there in the world because no one talks about it. And I think something like The Letters Project allows people to kind of see those narratives, those experiences um, somewhere and realize, oh, I'm not alone. Someone out there has gone through this trauma. Someone out there has experienced what I am experiencing. Definitely. And that gives you hope almost. And, yeah, definitely. You know, so I definitely think that's, that's, that's something that's much needed. Um, and what about the Benat Collective?
1: So Banat Collective uh, actually uh, was started by an amazing uh, curator and artist by the name of Sada Safwan. Mm-hmm. She um, started sort of this, because she also found that there was a lack in or a cultural gap that took place in the community where um, we needed a space for uh, the, to discuss the notion of womanhood and the female mm-hmm. experience and the inter- intersectionalities that exist within that. Um, within the MENA region. Because yep. when you talk about underrepresented or marginalized communities, being a woman and being uh, within that kind of framework is, is definitely something that is on the periphery that needs to be brought to the forefront. Right. So Bernat Collective is is about that. Um, and so she's the founder and curator, and I'm the co-curator. I've been brought on board as a co-curator where we're working on a, a project together um, for an exhibition tackling the preconceived uh, notions of what a woman is called the mystical woman. And so how do we define or redefine what a woman should be with all the like notions of fetishization, mm-hmm. objectification, and, and how do, do women within the MENA region see themselves and how can they begin to unpack and dismantle those ideologies And how can they reframe and provide a counter-narrative to the existing one?
0: And I guess, what do you, my question, there are so many questions that came out of that. (laughs) Go ahead, we've got all day. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) I mean, in terms of, first of all, what are the, because it's a collection of essays, if I'm not mistaken, right? That were submitted.
1: Uh, so, no, so the first part is uh, the middle in the middle of it all, mm-hmm. um, middle of it all, uh, which was um, an online publication that mm-hmm. brought stories of the coming of age. Right. Uh, but now, what's what Burnett Collective is trying to expand on uh, is uh, an actual exhibition of artwork. artwork. So okay. there will be, you know, uh, ranging from installation to performance to uh, paintings to to actual written essays. Um, So you have this sort of full range of the female experience Mm -hmm. uh, documented in these creative outlets. Um, And then that will hopefully translate into an actual exhibition. But then also alongside feed into a podcast, feed
0: into
1: many different things.
0: And what what about women who will just say, listen, I'm fine with my narrative. My life is just freaking dandy. Stop trying to deconstruct it.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> that's and that's pers- perfectly fine, yeah. but I think one we we cannot ignore mm-hmm. that the narrative that has been set for us has been given by the patriarchy and has mm-hmm. been given by uh by an overarching uh voice. And I think what the um what Banat Collective does so brilliantly is that it provides alternative Uh, answers or solutions to a larger problem which is that there are many voices there is a range and diverse and rich culture that exists within uh, the MENA region and the underrepresentation of women needs to be brought to the foreground because it needs to be for women by women right and so that's what what it's about
0: many voices need to be represented Mm -hmm. do some voices matter more than others no so how do you know which voices are you going to, to represent?
1: It comes from uh, what is the overarching framework and what mm-hmm. is the overarching message. Um, I think if there is a need to discuss a certain topic, it depends on whatever that uh, visual exploration or creative outlet is going to be. So if I, once again, it goes back to that mm-hmm. barometer, like where do you measure um you know, the female experience, or where do you measure, for example, toxic masculinity, you know, it is like a simple, you know, handshake something? Because I'm, it... I'm asking
0: because you're the one who's, you, you're, you're yes. co-curating yes. This, uh, this exhibition, right? Mm-hmm. So technically speaking, you and the co-founder are curating this. So you would be deciding what voices, I guess, are more highlighted. So I'm just wondering how you go about that.
1: Well, actually, uh, the way we go about it is that we uh, narrow down strong because, as as artists and curators, we are Mm -hmm. able to very quickly identify what is a strong piece of work, and that comes from like visual execution, conceptual thread, and how it's being relayed, how the message is overall being conceived and perceived, um, and that goes through like a a very standard list of like design and art principles, and then you go down that list, so that gets narrowed down. Mm And then once that's narrowed down, that's taken into an advisory committee, which is involved with people from all walks of life, some people that aren't artists themselves. Okay. And so from there we uh we shift the the conversation so it's multiple voices being able to see the overarching framework that perhaps would either be overly like exhausted through people who are creative lenses Mm -hmm. and they just want to show their lens and and whatnot. But I think the alternative gaze is very important. So, uh, and then from there, we will kind of okay. narrow it down.
0: Yeah, I was just wondering, because I mean, I, I'd assume there would be a bias if it was just kind of two people kind of picking out the narratives or the voices that are shown. Yeah, no, and, yeah. We,
1: we we work really hard to make it as inclusive as possible. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, nothing in life can be 100% um, yeah, inclusive. Course, yeah. There has to be some kind of uh, um, uh some kind of, not restriction, but constriction maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, so we kind of go through this filtration process, which allows us to look at it from the uh, inside out, but then very much the outside in. Okay. So.
0: Well, you're doing a lot of interesting work, but looking at your life now, can, how is it different than what you expected it to be like 10 years ago? When you were, when
1: mm-hmm. you had, what
0: were your expectations like versus how the, it's turned out, I guess?
1: Well, to be honest, I didn't really have many expectations, and that's because I I truly believe in the power of now mm-hmm. and this idea that I cannot really be greater than myself unless I believe in something greater than myself. Even ten years ago. Yeah, I mean.
0: Wow. Okay. And so
1: I um, I always knew that there was a a reason for me to be in that particular moment. And there's like, for example, there's a reason why I'm sitting here right now opposite to you in this very moment. And the way that my life has planned out is exactly the way that it had to be.
0: Do you feel your priorities were different 10 years ago versus where they are now in terms of where you focus?
1: No, but I think that um, I have been confronted with more obstacles along the way. Mm -hmm. And I think I could have made a choice where, uh, conformity could allow me to relinquish and remove those obstacles, but mm-hmm. I am not very much a person that fo- I follow the beat of my own drum mm-hmm. and a non-conformist. So, I very much um, the way that my life has planned out and where I am now is is exactly where I need to be.
0: Okay, so we're going to be talking about how people define you. Mm-hmm. What makes you qualified? have a discussion about this it's so
1: interesting even the way the question is phrased i was just like <laughs> i don't like the way this question is phrased um uh i am the fact that it says like what makes you qualified to mm. to 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 be antagonistic. defined by honesty, <laughs> not only that but it puts uh, uh, a a discourse or conversation in a position where you use the power of seniority to define where you sit within that Conversation. So oh, I'm
0: I, I'm not here to qualify you. I'm just telling, asking you to tell the people.
1: <laughs> uh, and for the people, I say, I say, this is what I think. Uh, no, but I mean it. And um, uh, there needs, there never needs to be a justification why people uh, are having a discussion, a discussion about you. Mm. I mean, point blank period. If it's about you, you are not just the 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 narrator of that discussion, but you are the subject of that story. So you, by default have the qualification to discuss it. So, so, yeah, but anyways, so yes, the answer is I am qualified. Full drop, stop, Drop the mic, walk away. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I like that. Okay, so um, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. We're about to jump on to the topic sure. side of things. Um, thanks to everyone for listening. You guys can find all the links to where you can find out more about Sada in the episode description. You can also hear the rest of our discussion about how people define you on Wednesday. So make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening if you're not already, so that you don't miss anything. As always, I love your comments and messages, so keep them coming. Uh, This is Mshayla Aknezi, signing out. Bye, guys.